There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Thank you so much for checking out another one. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, here with you with another episode and one that I am very, very excited about. It is no secret, I've talked about it a couple times now on the podcast, that my favorite album of the year so far has been the Dirty Nils Fuck Art. One of my favorite albums of 2018 was Master Volume, so I was very, very excited to get Luke Bentham, uh, frontman of the Dirty Nil here on the show. I mean, someone that I've wanted on forever. I've uh, I've known of the Dirty Nil for years. I mean, and they've been around. It's funny because they still kind of feel like a new band in a way to me, yet they've been around for like 15 years at this point. So, I mean, quite a while. You know what I mean? Like, not they did not start yesterday. But, like, I had heard of them through the years, saw their name. You know, I mean, they were, they were signed to Fat Record for a short amount of time. Probably that was the first time I saw them um, when they put out Minimum R&B, on, which is a great, which is a great album title. Um, and that was like a collection of like singles and EPs and stuff that they did up to that point. And when uh, Fat Records put that out, probably like I think five or six years ago, it's probably the first time I'd heard of them. But like they didn't grab my attention until I heard uh, Pain of Infinity off the last record, Master Volume. And uh, I, I remember it was the very first day that I moved to Minneapolis and it was on the alternative station up there, not the current, um, which is a great station, but it's like, I want to say it was like 93 point something. And it was, it was a very good, uh, it was a really good station. They actually played a lot of stuff that like, I was surprised for being like a commercial, like rock radio station. Like they were probably like an iHeartMedia one too. So it's like, you know, not like an underground station or anything like that, like pretty commercial. Um, they played a lot of really good stuff. And I remember that song coming on. And uh, being like, oh, my God, like, who was that? And then looking it up and being like, oh, it's that band? Like, like, oh, like, I knew, like, basically I knew the name, but that was about it. And, uh, I mean, after that, that, that was all I really needed. Once I heard that song, I was like, all right, I'm hooked. This band is great. And, uh, yeah, the last the last few years now they've been uh, one of my favorites. So this was very, very cool to have uh, Luke on to talk about their new record, Fuck Art. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, really, like, Putting that out New Year's Day, what a great way to start the year. I'm very excited. I mean, it's going to take a lot to uh, for a band to really beat that because I, I think of all the albums that I was really anticipated for this year, that one was pretty high up there, and uh, there's been a few others. And I won't name names. I'm not here to talk shit, but uh, a few have come out that I had pretty anticipated that I've been fairly disappointed by that I was like, yeah, it's not wasn't what I was really hoping for. Not the Dirty Nil. The Dirty Nil exceeded expectations. Uh, I mean, I, I love to see where they went. Cause I was wondering after, you know, master volume really was, I think that, I think that did a lot for the band. You know what I mean? I think they, they picked up a lot of fans off that record and, uh, you know, when you have an album like that, that's a special, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, so important to your career, it's like where you go next is so like, you know, like it, it's just so much more, you know what I mean? I feel like bands sometimes will hit that with certain records where you go, it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. And, uh, you know, the Dirty Nil, the, they did it right with Fuck Art. They got it. They got it right. So I was very excited to talk to him about the writing and recording 
and uh, everything else. And I was excited too. I mean, I, I love the band and I'll, I've also, uh, you know, like listened to interviews and stuff with them. And uh, Luke is always a really, I mean, he was a great guest on here, but he's a great guest like on anything. He just, he has a really good personality. He's very funny and uh, just very talented, talented person and uh, love talking to him. I mean, I, I love that. I mean, we talked, we got to talk a little bit about the replacements and the Stooges and uh, any, anything like that, I mean, makes me a happy boy. Anytime I talk to guests about the replacements and uh, things things of that nature, I'm uh, always happy. But uh, yeah, we're going to get into it right now. I just wanted to uh, jump on here, let you know about this episode that I was very, very happy for. I was, I was going to announce it last week because I knew it was happening. But again, I don't want to jinx shit. And then all of a sudden it comes up where it's like he couldn't be on. And then it's like... Oh, okay. Well, now I look like an idiot. But no, here he is. This was awesome. Right now, here's my interview with Luke Bentham, singer and guitarist of one of my favorite bands out right now, The Dirty Nil, right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, we are talking to Luke Bentham, who is singer and guitarist of Hamilton, Ontario band The Dirty Nil. And the band recently released their third record, Fuck Art. They released it on New Year's Day. And what a way to start the year. Right now, we are going to talk all about the writing and recording of that record, with uh, which is actually my favorite record so far of the year, with uh, one of the guys who wrote it. So I'm very excited for that. Luke, man, how are you? I'm very well, and thanks for the, uh, the very warm intro. Yeah, it, it really is. I got to say, this was a, uh, I think if I was in a band, I would be pissed if I was releasing an album this year, because right away, <laughs> you, you guys like came out like right with the gates with... Uh, just a great record. And I mean, obviously it came out New Year's Day, but I mean, how far back did you guys actually record this? We recorded it in March of 2020. So just as the shit was hitting the fan, we oh. were recording. Oh, okay. So was it originally, so I, I assume originally you thought it was coming out earlier. Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I think that we, we there was kind of a zany scheme in the back of uh, our manager's pocket for quite a while to release a new, an album on New Year's. Uh, I think that he had been, uh, it, it had been negotiated down from New Year's Eve to New Year's Day, though. Um, but uh, there was a zany scheme to do that for a while. Um, and the COVID conditions just made it perfect because really nothing, all traditional plans went out the window. So it made it quite an appealing idea because nothing really matters. Now, I, I guess since you wrote it pre COVID, my question would be, I mean, in between that and master volume, I mean, were you kind of rushed to record this one or did you have time? You know what I mean? Cause like, I guess when I think about it, if COVID hit right after, if you were rushed to write it and you're like, Oh, I guess we didn't like you know, have to jump to this so fast. I think that, um, I think that it was like the perfect time to record it, to be honest with you. I mean, um, you know, the way that I view arrangements for songs and stuff and like, and, and songs themselves is they kind of have a time where they all um, mature together and they're ripe to record. And anyways, uh, yeah, I think that it was, you know, it definitely, I would say that personally, like writing the songs for the album um, was a strange, uh, it, it, I mean, it's always like, it always takes every little bit of my being um, and sanity to, to do the thing. But this one was, um, this one was different because I mean, master volume, I had kind of got to use up 
a few years worth of like stockpiled riffs and song ideas. And this is the first time that we started really from, from, from complete scratch. So it was fun, uh, kind of just going in different directions and indulging different sides of, uh, of the band that we had never really explored before. Um, but, uh, it was also like when we were, making the songs and arranging them like it, we were touring super heavily so it was um it was a very dense period of work i gotta say and um um i'm very proud of what we did but it was definitely like a very hectic time getting at least for certain stages of getting the music together once we had a foothold and things were really uh i was i always find the first few songs are the hardest to get going and once you have that foothold going and you get your confidence mm-hmm. um then the rest of you you get the momentum and you start breezing through a little faster but um uh getting the first few songs together was for me personally i gotta say a bit of a struggle because i was just kind of um i was i was i was kind of paralyzed by the amount of options um, and after we finished master volume, I stopped, I stopped writing. Like I was just like, Oh, that's oh really? it. we're good for a while. And, uh, I let those muscles in myself atrophize or atrophy. And, uh, and I had to build them back up from scratch. So I made myself a promise once we finished Buckart that, um, that uh, I would not do that. Um, so yeah, it's always, it's always, it's always a weird cur- curve for myself, um, when it comes to writing. So you're not someone who like is just constantly writing. Like, do you, you just kind of get like those bits of inspiration, like fits almost where like maybe in like a set, you know, like a, for a short amount of time, maybe you'll write like a shit ton of stuff and then you'll go a while where like, yeah, just like, you know, like I'm just not doing this. Well, I would say that I'm really good at doing nothing. I'm very good <laughs> at uh, being lazy. Um, in general though, like I, I, I'm always writing in the sense that I'm always tinkering with ideas, you know, I'll have, I, I'll have like a bit of a, I'll have like the basis of a song that I kind of massage for quite a while. And we try with the band in several different ways and then we get tired of it and put it in the, on the back burner and it'll come back. And, but I'm always tinkering with stuff all the time. Whenever I pick up a guitar, I'll always have like some, um, something I'm working on or some, a uh, bit of lyrics that I'm working on, but um, you know, it's uh, I, I'm I, I'm I'm in the tinkering. I'm I'm a tinkerer when it comes to <laughs> writing. I'm not really like a, if I can get it all down in one day. If I can get like the basis of a song down in one day, then I feel amazing. But it, it usually isn't like that. I usually, and especially with the band, I find usually the best results are obtained by bringing in a framework of things and allowing everyone to kind of like find their own parts and allowing it to be malleable when I bring it in rather than here's a complete song, two verses, three choruses and a bridge play within it. Like it just doesn't go as well. It's, it's harder and less fun. So I'll have, I always bring in a chorus and like the riffs and stuff like that, but I really like to just see what the band can do and, you know, Ross and Kyle are such awesome players that a lot of the times what they'll do will make me completely change how the song is because they'll just contribute something that I could never have come up with um, that um, completely reframes the song. So I like to really just keep things, you know, 
uh, flexible because um, I get I'm privileged to be in a band with two incredible players, and I I, I often like their ideas on things better than my own. You do you do have a very uh, solid rhythm section, and I want to go back for a second too. Like like you said with uh, the new record, the first couple songs were like hardest to write. Do you remember like the first one or two songs that you wrote for the album? Yeah, the first song that I wrote was Elvis seventy seven. Um, oh, nice. And I I had that one in my back pocket for a little while. That was the only real song that I showed up to like rehearsals with when we were we had finished the Master Volume tour and we needed. We were just starting to get working on new material. Um, that was all I had, really. Um, and so we beat that song into the ground. And then the actual final version is quite different than the original little demos I have on my phone. Um, but um, the first like song that was like banked, that was like, yes, we can play this song all the way through. It feels good with Hello Jealousy. And then we tinkered with, uh, we think we had a lot of fun with uh, Doom Boy um, because we just were just like throwing all these different Slayer moves into it. And so originally it was like really long. And uh, we kind of trimmed, we, we trimmed, we, we call that version the uncivilized version. I think we have a <laughs> demo of it on our Patreon, but uh, the civilized version is the single version that you hear. Um, but um yeah, the songs that really took the longest, I would say, were um, Damage Control and Hang Your Moon. And um, yeah, those ones took a while. And I, to a, to, a, to a certain extent, Doom Boy. Doom Boy wasn't really like a pain in the ass. It was just like we were just kind of working on it a bunch. We A lot of the times, like, you know, as we jam more and more, we, we, we simplify things rather than compli- overcomplicate them. Mm-hmm. Like damage control used to be way more complicated and uh, we, we just made it simpler. Like when the problem developed for me, when we just start writing songs in a jam space and not performing them, because then you get used to playing them in the vacuum of a jam space and you're not having to like, try and perform them if that makes any sense and oh yeah no kind of, totally to completely focus on playing them but then when you actually have to perform them it's this over complicated task and you're like why the hell do we make this so fucking complicated like this would be way more fun if we did it this way and so once we started bringing the tunes on the road they all took massive leaps forward doom boy got way better once we started playing it on tour so did hello jealousy and uh a few of the other songs and then a lot of the songs came together right at the last minute and were super easy, like Possession and um, uh, Ride or Die was really easy. Um, and uh, Guy Who Stole My Bike was super fast. And One More in the Bill was really fast. Um, but uh, it's, it's always those first few. I mean, when we were kind of, when we were working on, I have a million different weird early versions of just myself kind of demoing or sketching early ideas for uh, damage control and hang your moon and uh, blunt force concussion blunt force concussion almost didn't make the album we were just like it was in the scrappy forever and because i was just so, it was one of those early songs that we just played a million times got sick of and just kind of put it on the back burner and kyle really encouraged me he's like we should play that song and i was like oh, i get <laughs> and uh, this be- this our biggest single we've ever had so far, uh, funny enough. But um, 
That seems like that could be an issue. Uh, yeah. Like, like if you played a song too many times, like after hearing it too many times, I could see that where like you, the genius of it from your perspective would wear off. Cause it's like, fuck, I've heard it, you know, 800 times and it kind of loses that. But yeah, I mean, from like an outsider perspective, like, yeah, don't lose that song. Like, like that seems just silly, but I could totally get where you would come from there. I would say that this time, like when we did Master Volume, it was just when Ross had joined the band. So I was like really militant about we had to jam all the time. We had to get everyone up to speed. We needed we needed a new album. So we got to jam like three or four times a week, all this shit. You know, we got to work. And we did that and it worked great. And I was determined to repeat the same um, process for the next record. But in retrospect, it was counterproductive um, because we just like we were rehearsing so much that we were rehearsing like these songs into the ground. And you just you start you start, you know, I've, I've read a, a lot of bands having a stage like this where you just like you just you think that more rehearsal is going to equal more results and you hit a point of diminishing returns. And we certainly did. And and I think that um you know, as you're kind of alluding to, like, you stop hearing the things that you like about the song, you just start focusing on abstract issues that you see that you're unsatisfied with with the song, but you don't really have any solutions to them. Like, I mean, I I tried I tried to re- recreate how Master Volume came together, uh, but we were a different band at that point. We were way tighter. We didn't need that same kind of like militant rehearsal um, to kind of get up to speed. We were already up to speed. We had toured the world. We were tight. We we were ready to go. Um, and so I learned that lesson. Like once we got into it, we kind of relaxed a bit more and it started going way better. But off the top, um, I think I had a bit of a flawed strategy towards how a little bit of a counterproductive strategy. I wonder, uh, I wonder if the next record just, I mean, by like what you've been saying, I feel like the next record will almost be a walk in the park because it seems like you learned a lot of trial and error on this one. Well, we're definitely off to a, a much better start this time than on the fuck art stuff. We, we definitely took us a while to get some good momentum going on the fuck art material, but we got a lot of new songs already, or by our standards. I mean, I'm just not the kind of guy that writes 20 songs in a year. I just put all of my effort into 12 songs or so. I'm like obsessing over all the little curves and transitions and all that stuff. Um, that's how I write music. I'm not a bulk guy. I just, I, I, a lot of, I have a lot of, well, that that's not true. I mean, I have a lot of like sketches and stuff with songs on my phone and all that stuff, but the ideas that we develop are the, the ones that uh, are the strongest and we don't go in and record 60 songs. You know, we work really, really hard in a shitty little jam space with a blown out PA system on arranging a song so that it kicks ass live on that broken PA system. And we, we feel really good about it that way. Then we demo it. Instead of like, well, here's an idea. Maybe we'll have a producer hold our hand. Like, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll try looping some drums. Over. Like that, we don't do that lazy garbage. We we are a proper rock and roll band. We do it all ourselves. Then we bring in a producer at the very end after we've demoed several times to be like, 
yeah, we can maybe like, does this verse have to be this long? Or this? we do, we do ninety-five percent of the work before we bring in any kind of outside help, and that's why I wouldn't have it any other way. I like whether whether all I was gonna say is like two over quality over quantity. It's like if you put out sixty, so- like you could write sixty songs, but how many of those are just gonna be shit? Like let's be honest, like most people, most yeah, like most of them. Let's be honest, like I would much rather have a band like fuck art. I love the whole thing front to back. It's a record I can listen to front to back. I would rather it be that than you guys go, hey, we wrote a triple album or something like that, and it's like half of this is horse shit. Yeah. Well, you and me both. So I, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I mean, like, it's I, I, I think we live in a time of like unparalleled quantity of things, and that's totally cool. But and I've had a lot of external pressure to modify our process to like be more streamlined and be easier. But I'm just not interested in that. I'd rather, I'd rather our overall total success be compromised but not our integrity compromised um, personally. And I'm not really interested in hearing any other arguments. I don't give a shit about working with, you know, hit making producers. Like it's not, and that's not interesting to me at all. And I don't care how much richer I could be if I did. I, the only thing that I care about is the overall quality of the, of the music that we make and everything else is a complete second, second step to that. And, um, that's how I treat my, uh, that's, that's how I view it. And I'm not really interested in another view. I'd rather, I'd rather do this band. And as I said, do it the way we want to do it. Um, and, and, and take all the, all the, all the negative aspects along with it. Um, because I do believe that the positive aspects of, of, of doing exactly what you want as an artist far outweighs anything that additional commercial success uh, through the corruption of, of like of 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 our of our music could bring, if that makes sense. Oh no, it totally does. And I mean the other thing too is when you start fucking with the recipe like that, like sometimes that ends up being really bad. You start diluting it with that stuff where we get the big rock producer, we do this and that, and it's like well, now this is totally different from the thing that like brought me here in the beginning. Like the thing that I loved about it, anyways. Where is it now? It's like hidden somewhere underneath, like this heartless thing. So no, I I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, and it's not to say that we're not interested in like trying things and growing and all that stuff. But I think that our process as a band and how we make our music is beyond sacred to me, and I'm not interested in compromising on it. Basically. I, I will say, even though it's, oh no, sorry, go ahead. I was man. just gonna say, even though it's labor intensive and full of uncomfortable moments and you know straight up weeks and months, um, I would rather do it that way and claim uh, as a unit um, that we did it um, than have some. Uh, you know, there's, I don't need to name names, but there's, there's producers these days that like work with a lot of rock artists and, you know, you, you can always hear the ones that they've done on the radio and that shit sounds, it's going to sound dated as hell. And I'm not interested in like, and you don't, you also just don't take as much pride in your music when somebody holds your hand and wipes your ass, helping you make it. Like I would rather us do it all, 
Um, and as I said, take whatever comes with that and uh, do something to try and reach for something higher commercially. I know I've said the same thing three times, but that's just how <laughs> strong I feel about it. No, and I like it, and I think you can hear it. I, I feel like it makes sense, too, in your music, because, like, something I was going to bring up, I know you said, like, by the time you, you, like, get there, like, you don't want a producer holding your hand. You have most of the song written. You have the idea. You know what you want. And I feel like it comes through, because, like, even listening through the record, like, there's not, it doesn't sound overproduced. Like, it's just a trio. Like, I don't hear, it doesn't sound like you have a bunch of different guitar tracks. It doesn't sound like there's songs where I think really you're only playing like a lead. Like I don't hear you playing a bunch of like rhythm tracks under it or doing a bunch of crazy shit that you won't be able to replicate live. And I feel like that shows because sometimes if you let a producer do that, he's not thinking of the live setting. He's thinking of what makes the record sound like that. I feel like you guys kind of have more of that mindset of what's going to sound good live. What can we actually play live? And it's not going to sound totally different from the album. Well, that's the fun challenge, uh, is, is, and that's where the work lies, in, in, in my opinion, is how can we make this sound good in the room? Because if we can make it sound good in this piece of shit, concrete <laughs> box with a blown-out PA system that we've had since the day we started the band, um, then it's going to kick ass over the speakers and on a proper stage. We don't... Uh, that's that's where the work lies and that cause old fashions whatever like but that's how it used to be done and uh that's how we're gonna do it you know that's how you know I, i've talked to older bands too and bands that had like you know bigger records like 15 years ago and you know when we dropped master volume i had conversations with a few different bands They're like how did you guys do this album and same thing with fuck they're like how did you guys make this album i'm like well we got in a room and we played together forever and we fought and we laughed and we drank beers and, we, you know, we like, it was, you know, we went through the entire catalog of human emotions together <laughs> and worked on it forever. Um, and then, then, then we came out with this and they're like, yeah, we used to do that, but we just don't do that anymore. Like, you know, it's just like, that's how we did it. And I'm like, Hmm, maybe you should work harder. Then <laughs> maybe you that's your problem. Better. Yeah. So that's my perspective on it. The day I stop, the day we stop working working hard together in a jam space on our music is the day that we call it a quit. Like it's just not going to happen for us. I think it's, I think we all understand how important it is, despite its momentary discomfort. Like it's, it's just the way we make our music. Yeah, it ends up. It seems like it it pays off in the long run. I mean, it may, it may be painful, pain in the ass while you're doing it, but yeah, it definitely seems to pay Sometimes. off. Sometimes <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to paint a picture that it's like a pain in the ass the entire time. It's definitely not like, but it's like, you don't get, uh, it's there's, there's, um, there's, there's, but there's certain, I mean, when you're working together as a unit every day, you're going to have some frictions from time to time when you have a bunch of artists arguing for their point of view on something. But, um, in general, as I said, it's like, um, getting, going to sleep at the end of the day being like, we did that. Um, is means the world to me personally. And I, I'm sure you've uh, already been asked this a, a bunch of times, but like, I mean, Master Volume seemed like it did quite well for the band. I mean, I know that's how I picked up on you guys. Like the success of that when writing Fuck Art, did you think of that at all? Was there pressure or do you not think it? Do you just not think of that? Like whatever, like just on to, on to the next one. Time, time to write album number three. I mean, it kind of 
appear to tie in from time to time of just like, you know, at my lower moments. So I was like, well, how are we going to follow this up? And like, but then you just get rid of that state of mind. Like that's just, I bet that there was certainly not any kind of dominant flavor in my mind. It peaked its head in at the very beginning, but once we got going and I was like, this is different, but I feel really strongly about it. I don't really give a shit about what anybody else thinks about it. Um, that's kind of our internal attitude of like, we like this and it, we, it'd be great if other people like it. But I mean, since we started the band when we were kids, um, you know, we did it for ourselves. I remember the first conversation I ever had with Kyle about like, maybe we should start a band was him and I walking around the, uh, the suburbs late at night, be like 16 years old and saying we should make a band. And just for the purpose of making music for ourselves, and if other people like it, that's great. But just, I think it would be really fun to make music. And that's still, as cheesy as it sounds, is what we try and do. Um, but when it comes to specifically transitioning from Master Volume to Fuck Art, I think we knew that we had like really done some cool stuff on Master Volume that we didn't really envision at the beginning of the of getting that material together. And the same thing happened with Fuck Art. Like, we started off with some kind of lighter elements and then we moved into like a thrashy territory. Um, we did all this stuff and it's, um, I'm definitely not like a, I, I'm more of a, uh, you know, there's different ways of making art, I guess, or making music or any kind of art, but I'm more of like a, I'll, you know, uh, make a stroke with the brush, stand back and be like, huh. And then go make another one. I don't really design things out. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants and see where it leads me. And so that's how we did the last two. I, I think one of the things that I love too about your band and uh, I mean on this, I mean really all your albums, but I think really on fuck art Two is just the range. Like you can't, I don't think someone can just pinpoint a genre on you guys. I don't think anyone could label you just one thing and you mesh all these sounds and influences like so well I mean, is that is that like an intentional thing, or is that just how you write? Like, are you like I know you're like a replacements fan, and there's another one that comes to mind where it's like Paul Westerberg, it, you know, is influenced by like you know Black Flag or whatever, Dead Boys, but also you know like AM radio hits of the '60s and blended sounds really well. And I mean, you know, maybe maybe your influences are different than those, but you kind of do the same thing. Like, is that is that a conscious thing, or do you just write the way you write, basically? I think it's kind of. To be honest with you, I think it would be probably a little bit of both, but the replacements have been a big influence on me as to having that uh, mobility genre-wise and being able to play with different stuff. But that's why I really like doing an album worth of songs rather than saying, well, maybe we'll do an EP and then like we'll cut up the songs. And, you know, we wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I don't, we wouldn't have made the songs the way we made them if they weren't in the context of each other. And so it's fun to kind of like make, like once we had something like Doom Boys, like, okay, well, what about something like, this is kind of all subconscious, but it's like, okay, what about something a little bit softer? And then you kind of you kind of fill in the gaps and, and try and make something that's got some variety to it because that's, those are the albums that I like rather than traditionally. I mean, there's some exceptions, but... It's all, I think we all just like so much different kinds of music and, you know, at the end of the day, we just like kind of filtering all the stuff that we like through guitar, bass, and drums. 
and seeing what we can kind of come up with and arranging it that way. That's the fun. Um, and so some songs, the arrangements start out really loud and then they become quieter and vice versa. Um, but I think we definitely do subconsciously aim to have a good amount of variety so that, um, you know, that's just the kind of music that we like. Uh, that, that totally makes sense. And I mean, I also want to get into to gear because again, like, like you, I mean, everyone sounds great on this record and you guys still blow me away how loud you are as a trio. So, I mean, I, I want to talk like guitar amps, like what, what were you using on here? What did your rig look like on fuck art? Sure. So, um, well, I had to do all the guitars in two days because oh, um, shit. they were shutting down Toronto. And um, unfortunately, I didn't have John, our producer, there. He had to leave, go back to America because they were closing the border. But um, in the 48 hours, we got all the guitars on me and the engineer. And uh, for the most part, it was my uh, cream 1970s Les Paul custom into uh, some kind of mystery treble booster pedal that I still don't know what it is. It was just kind of we found it into uh, Super Lead, uh, Marshall 1959 SLP, uh, into a Marshall 8x10. It was just, and that was it. Like, that was basically that and my 335. Um, that was pretty much most of the record, to be honest with you. And then for weirder stuff, the engineer was like, check out this uh, Eventide Harmonizer. And so, like, the end of Hang Your Moon is through that. And... Um, and uh, some cool, any kind of weird cleaner stuff, I would just plug. Um, I had a Gibson RD uh, custom that I just plugged right into the, into the board. Um, plugged it right into the board and had like a, like a, rev- uh, a really nice reverb sound um, on top of it. But it was really simple. I mean, last time on Match Volume, I experimented with a million different guitars had all these sweet vintage guitars at my disposal. But this time, because of COVID, like I just had, you know, I, I, I own some very nice guitars, but I didn't have like all these 50s Les Pauls and stuff that I was using like last time. So there was no, it was very uh, clinical in terms of just like getting it cranked out before the deadline. Um, and so I just stuck with my Les Paul for most of it. Um, but I'm super happy with how it turned out. I have to be honest that like, Originally, I kind of like forsake the universe for stripping me of the opportunity to lounge around and experiment with all these different guitars. Uh, but as I heard the final mixes of Fuck Art, I became super happy about how Spartan the setup was. And I think it really contributed positively how simple my rig was. Oh, I think totally. I mean, you have such a huge tone. I mean, not on just that record, but like, like again, like I think the biggest compliment I can even like give your band is like how fucking loud and the sounds you guys are making. And then you look and you're just a treat. Like it's a trio like it. And it's in, it's insane what you get out of that. I, I feel like that's a lot of like the vintage stuff. And I, I realize you use a lot of like tube amps and stuff as far as, I mean, having 48 hours, that, that is insane. I didn't realize you had such a, I mean, obviously COVID, but does that mean a lot of those were one takes? I mean, did you did you have much time to mess around? You just kind of go in there and just play your shit like you already had it rehearsed. Well, a lot of it, like, the funny thing was, was that um, we didn't, 
because of the time limit, like we really just had to focus on like, I'll walk you through what the standard uh, kind of song looked like in terms of recording it. Like we'd open up the file, there'd be the drums and the bass, which had been recorded in the last few days. And then I, I would have a ghost guitar track on it that I played along with the guys. And we would sit there and talk for about 10 minutes, me and the engineer, about mapping it out, how we were going to do it. So it would be like, you know, standard, we'd do like, okay, put the left ball on the left side, put the 335 on the right side for this part. And then I guess there's a bit of a cleaner part here, so I'll do the RV that part there. So we'll get, let's get these dirty guitars out of the way, stereo, and then do the, do the weirder stuff. And then special sauce shit at the end. Each song took about two to three hours max. Three hours was the longest. Oh, that's and not then, bad at all. It, yeah, um, and most of it would wouldn't really be most of it wouldn't be playing. It would just be, as I said, mapping it out and um, just trying to make sure it all, you know, it was all working. Um, and so basically, mo- we would do we spend two hours or so on a song. The engineer Darren would hit the space bar for me to hear the whole thing. You'd go outside and have a cigarette. You'd come back in, and by that time, the song would be ending, and then we'd just open up the next one. And, um, yeah, it was definitely one of the most terrible but best musical experience of my entire life. It was so fucking exhausting. But my left, like, my fretting arm was seized for, like, three days afterwards. <laughs> like, I was having a hard time moving it because of just playing guitar so hard and so much. Um, and also like, I don't know, like fatigue is a weird thing. And like sitting and listening, listening to something like intently for detail is one of the most fucking exhausting things after a certain amount of time. Um, so we pulled two 16 hour days and we got it all done. But, um, by the end, like when I, when we opened up to the guy who stole my bike, I, I didn't have any, like that was the only one that wasn't worked out yet because we had kind of planned on working it building it in the studio with goodmanson but of course all that those plans had gone out the window um and so i just opened up this fucking file with drums and bass on it i almost had like a fucking breakdown because i'm just like what am i gonna do and then i sat there and i figured out a solo and just kind of did it but um yeah it was definitely uh it was it was one of the more intense what beautiful and terrible musical experience I've ever had um, recording the guitars for Fuck Art. It was, it was exhausting, but I felt very proud at the end of it. That sounds so goddamn grueling. That that total. I mean, and you did a great job. The guitar came out great, but my god, yeah, that sounds grueling. And the funny thing too is, I honestly like like the the whole song, like the the guy who stole my bike, like. I would have thought that would have taken the longest. Like a lot of the shit you play on there, like I would have thought that was one of the ones that would have took you longer to write. So that was, again, I guess you do work well under pressure. Might not be fun, but it sounds like you work pretty well under pressure. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I was the, the big, the big uh, kind of terror of the whole thing was, well, two things. Number one was, on the first day, we only got five songs done. And so it was like, shit, we got seven to do tomorrow then. Um, and so by the end, but when we finished on the last day, um, 
I drove home from Toronto, nobody on the highway. It was just me. And I was like, I was laughing and almost to the verge of tears. I was so happy. And then I woke up the next day and I realized, like, I just started having nightmares about like, did I record this part for this song? Did I forget? Like, <laughs> oh, shit. like, you know, those, those, those dream nightmares of like, did I actually graduate high school and all that shit? Oh, like, God. I was having that for the guitars, but, <laughs> and I had no way of hearing them. So from there we had to move on to the vocals and we started doing that by uh, just recording them from home and sending them out to John in Seattle. So the record started like all of us doing pre-production together at a studio and then recording beds all together. We spent as, as much time on bass as we did on guitar, which is maybe the first time that's ever happened in the history of recorded music. <laughs> <laughs> two days of bass and two days of guitar. God damn. Well, you also have a great bass player. Like, compliment to him, too. Like, dude does not just play root notes. Like, that guy, he, Ross is a great bass player. The You you, you have a great uh, rhythm section there. As far as... He uh, truly is. Yeah, I mean, you guys... I mean, you do, and I feel like... And this kind of gets into the next question. Like, being a trio, having a solid rhythm section like that, like, you being the only guitar player in the band... Does that feel restrictive to you, or does that feel like there's more freedom to do shit? Like not having a, a second guitar player, does, does that you know what I mean? Like, do you do you feel better? I guess I also don't know if you've ever played in a band with another one, so maybe you don't even maybe you can't even tell the difference. Well, I'll say this: um, we for a long time were a two piece band, and so anything after that, having any additional people after that, I feel so liberated because. <laughs> I fucking hate two piece bands because I was in one and it was a fucking pain in the ass. And so having a bass player now I feel still, even though it happened like 11 years ago when we finally got a bass player, uh, I still feel like that amount of liberation. I've played in a, I've played in a band uh, with two guitar players, but I was just playing, I was just playing on tour, like for music that had already been written oh. and that was fun. I really like that, but um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always kind of taken it as a fun challenge on guitar to try and occupy the space of rhythm and lead at the same time or um, alternating and, and just and kind of wear both hats. So there's some times when my chops are a little lower and like, or like feeling a little worse and I'm just like, ah, oh, God damn it, I wish I had a rhythm guitar player, but <laughs> those feelings always kind of pass. Um, I really like being the only guitar player in the band. Um, it makes mixing us easier and it makes arranging more fun and challenging, which is, there's no atmospheric guitar playing in this band. We're, you know, we're, we're a rock band and we carve out our dynamics in a very deliberate way, which is, I, part of the funnest part of, my, of, of our band is just like, is, is, as I said, doing that arrangement together and experimenting with different ways we could play a song. Um, so yeah, I, um, I, uh, I feel really good about, um, about doing it. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I did get to, uh, play, um, in a double guitar band, I did have a lot of fun getting to like take a second and, and, uh, and like, you know, not just, uh, not just be playing all the time, but growing up in a two piece band, 
um, everything is better than that. Fuck two piece thing. <laughs> when when you guys were two piece, I mean, was it circumstance or did you just not want a bass player? Like like what? We thought it was cool. We thought it was cool until like we had, and we had we had made a bunch of songs of the two piece that kind of worked, and then like trying to move beyond that. Um, I almost had a nervous breakdown when I was like 18, like trying to write more songs for our little two piece. And I'm like, this is a drag because first of all, my pedals never work. Um, my guitar is always a little out of tune. And if I stop playing, there's, it's just drums and vocals. Like it's just a, it was just a fucking drag. It was like, it was like going to do a math test every single time we were playing a show. Like it was just a drag. <laughs> You know, it was no fun. And then once we got a bass, I'm like, oh my God, now that's what, like, bass is, like, I get it why bass is important. <laughs> <laughs> now you understand. Yeah, you always yeah. you always need a bass player. I, I don't know. See, that would be yeah. that would be difficult to me in my head because, like, anytime I write something, you always have to add a bass line. Like, I, I feel like it would, because, I, I, again, I guess maybe just because never I've written that way, but writing just guitar and just for guitar, bass, and vocals, or I mean, guitar, drums, and vocals seems, yeah, that, that, that almost seems difficult. Well, honestly, it was the arrogance and uh, ignorance of youth. And that's <laughs> what I'm marking up to. For, uh, I mean, as far as guitar, what were your early influences? I mean, who kind of got you into playing? Uh, Nirvana, for sure, and uh, Blue Album and Pinkerton. And uh, Live at Leeds was a big one for her, for me early on. The Who? Uh, by The Who. When I was about 18, 19, um, Raw Power by The Stooges just became my world. Yes. In terms of, like what I, how I wanted to play guitar in terms of that kind of like authoritative right hand and percussive and just like, and the melodic sense that James Williamson has. Um, I mean, I really can't think of, a, of an album that I still but still, like if that's my, that's what I've I've aspired to be uh, across all three albums, I would say is, is raw power. Um, uh, particularly when we we're doing um, when we we're doing uh, higher power was like you know that was kind of a tribute to raw power, like in terms of the sound and all the you know the the muddy, wild, screeching uh, sound. Um, was a tribute uh and when we got to master volume i mean like i basically fucking ripped off your pretty face is going to hell to write <laughs> based in life and like you know all that stuff is so much in my i know how to play every single note on that album like it's so much as part of my my dna like raw power yeah without a doubt is the most has left the biggest impact on me well that's another too i mean there's the stooges with just one with just one guitar that kind of like goes back to that like the freedom of that being able where i actually could kind of see that in your playing too because again like i mean look at look at how loud james williamson is on that and it's just him like you know what i mean like like it's it's another one where it's like fuck that's just one guy making all that noise so that that uh that makes sense, and those are those are some damn good influences. But uh, as far as yeah. the, the new record, trickiest riff to play. What was the hardest one to play on? Fuck art. Trickiest riff. I mean, the fucking slide solo on Elvis that I did <laughs> was like. I mean, I had to work on that quite a bit, and I'd say, a, like when I say a, one song took three hours, it was that one. Um, I'm I'm not I I 
I, I, I don't think I've actually even played slide guitar since I recorded that song there. When I do it live, I just use like feedback and octaves and stuff. But I had a vision about how I wanted it to sound on the record. And so I did it. But um, yeah, that was tricky. Yeah. Slide, slide. Slide is like we're like playing a different goddamn instrument. It lives like <laughs> literally. So um, that was that took a little bit. Trickiest riff on the record. I'm trying to think. Um, uh, I would say that. Uh, if this helps, think, think about in a live setting having to play guitar and sing at the same time. Which one would you go? Oh shit! This might take like. Maybe maybe it'll take a little more than muscle memory. I'll actually have to think of this for a second. Yeah, you know, we've been playing them all right now and jamming them, which has been fun. And I, I'm just trying to think of what the one that kind of sends me for the for a spin. Um, I would say that uh, um, there's there's just some different parts and stuff like when the very ending of damage control when I have to sing and do the riff. It, it definitely it, it's I, I I've got the muscle memory now, but originally it was a little bit of like a a learning curve. Um, and I would say. Uh, yeah, that's a big one. That's a big damage one. Damage control. Um, damage control was a bit tougher, and I'm trying to think if there's another one. Um, maybe uh, some of the parts on um, some of the part. Yeah, there's just little parts everywhere that are like this is. I'm, but there's not really one that really leaps ahead as like the the biggest pain in the ass. Um, I would say, yeah, damage control is a little tricky though to play that one. It's like to play the, the rhythm and the lead at the same time and sing is, is uh, requires a little bit of extra horsepower in the old noggin. Uh, kind of on the well on the same subject of riffs. Do you have one that you're like proudest of or love the most just in the entire Dirty Nil catalog? Is there one you look back and go, "Fuck, that's my that's the best one I've written like so far." Still pretty pumped about that's what heaven feels like. That's a good um, one. I gotta say, um, that one. I'm trying to think. I mean, like, I gotta. Yeah, I have no problem admitting that I love some of my own rest Still, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. Uh, I think uh, friends in the sky is a pretty good riff. Um, I think that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty pumped on uh, pretty pumped on ride or die that riff. Well, that's and, a good one. Uh, thanks. And um, yeah, there's I mean there's like those ones all along the way. I could I could talk about how much I love my own band. <laughs> well, I mean it helps you guys are good. Like it helps you're in a good band. Well, thank you. But uh, another one, too, I know you say you've been playing songs off the new album live. You've done live streams, like, and everything. But as far as a live show, people, you know, a fucking crowd in front of you, you playing in a sweaty room, what songs are you looking most forward to playing off the new record? Which ones have the best, like, live energy, you think? Or or you think will, I guess? Good question. Um, we've had a lot of uh, mosh pit threats over uh, Ride or Die. So I'm looking forward to doing that one. That might be a good um, set really opener, to be honest. I yeah, I'm I'm pretty pumped to play all of them. Um, I really like playing. Like Doom Boy is really fun to play. 
Yeah, possession. Like I don't know. They're all they're all there because of the way that we like as I said um, arrange the songs. They're all arranged to be played live. But um, I'd say yeah, I'd say I'd say the heavier stuff is stuff I'm, I'm more, most looking forward to playing. Doom Boy and Night or Die. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, this is this has been fun. As we kind of close up here, I do actually have a question from uh, my buddy Zach who wanted me to ask who I just turned on with this new record. I hit him up with uh, Hang Your Moon. I'm like, this is the best song I've heard all year. And he's like, yeah, fucking right. Then he listened to it. And now he's a fan. So now he has a question for you. And uh, he wants to know a few moments as a musician where you had like a turning point. Like you learned something from a peer or maybe you were like, I don't know, maybe you were trying to like learn something as a guitarist early on that took you a while that you finally hit, you know, like I guess a few highlights as a musician, like, like through your career. That's tough. I mean, a million things come to mind. Um, I mean, one thing was definitely uh, our first experience recording and realizing that I didn't know how to double track my guitars because I couldn't play anything twice same and having to learn how to play my own guitar parts consistently was a, a really important thing for me um and just it developed a, just a lot more consistency on my part um i'd say like realizing that i could sing really high was like a something that i only mistakenly discovered when we were writing the song fucking up young um that was a, an important discovery and uh, I would say, in terms of turning points, that's a good question. Um, I would, say, yeah, it's that's a tough one. It's like there's so many little ones, you know, that have kind of amounted to exactly where we're at at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I've just been super fortunate regarding the people that I've been surrounded with and that I've, I've been able to play with. And most importantly, Kyle, like Kyle, Kyle's the reason why I sing. Like I, we didn't, my, my, uh, when we started the band, my mom rented me a PA system, um, in exchange for me, uh, to never see my ex-girlfriend again. And I was like, deal. So <laughs> she yeah. Me this PA system. Yeah, and uh, Kyle's like, you got to be the singer. I'm like, I can't sing. He's like, well, you're going to have to learn. Like, come on, man, you can do it. So Kyle's the reason why I sing and why I write songs um, for us to play together. Um, So, I mean, I guess the biggest turning point for me was just like basically deciding to make a band with Kyle because we were tired of playing. Like, no one else would have us in their band because we were so shitty at playing. So we decided to make our own band. That was the biggest turning point. But, um, yeah, just always just trying to make stuff that we find entertaining and fun, um, has been, has been really important. Uh, it's, 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 I could go on forever about, um, uh, for, uh, um, uh, turning points, but, um, yeah, deciding that, 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 you know, I want to do this for myself and nobody else, you know, as cheesy as that sounds, that's really important. Um, that I want to be my own boss, my own, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, uh, um, that I, I don't want to, 
I, I would rather be have very little money and not and, and get to do this than than um, than any other possible reality for myself. You know. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. Totally. That that makes yeah, sense, and I th- I think it pays off too. Again, that that being genuine to yourself and writing what you want to hear. You know what I mean? Like it ends up it ends up paying off. And I mean, including now that you guys have been doing it so long, I think including the last uh you know the last two records, I feel like you're really coming into your own. Where it's a payoff of now decade plus of doing what you want to do. You know, and uh, I don't know. I think it well, shows. Miles Davis said it takes a lifetime to learn how to play like yourself. And I can agree That's so far. It's taking a long time. It's taking, taking us as a band 15 years to find out what we want to really do. Oh, well that, that is awesome, man. I mean, uh, now, now time to like plug stuff. Obviously everyone go check out fuck art, but, uh, where can people find the dirty nil online? Which guys got going on all that good stuff. Like, like throw it out there for them. Well, we're on all the traditional social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, we've got a Patreon account. Um, we've got, if you're interested in the band, you want to hear demos and hear, uh, we've got, we've got uh, a podcast called Born to Roam. Um, we've got a lot of stuff. Any, you name a social media platform and we're there. So just look us up. We've got a lot of new stuff coming. Um, and, uh, we've been really busy. We're very excited to present it to the world. Very, very nice. Now on the podcast, we will play a few songs off new record on the radio show. Uh, we, the the radio show is two hours, so I'm going to be able to spin a bunch of shit after this. So I'm going to ask you before I let you go, then I want you, we're going to have to play a Stooges song. So maybe pick your favorite song off raw power and maybe a, if you want to do this, pick a Stooges song and a replacement song. And maybe a song that you feel like influenced you somewhere on fuck art. And we will we will sure. throw those in the playlist. Great. Okay, so for a Stooges song, I'm gonna go with um uh Pretty Faces Going to Hell. And uh for replacements, um I would go with uh hmm, the live can you can you get the new live album live at Maxwell's? Oh fuck yeah, Murder at Maxwell's! I got that. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, I really like the version of uh, uh, Nowhere Man on that one. <laughs> okay, um, throw that one. Beatles on. cover. Do they make and, it through uh, that? I'm trying to remember now. Do they even do they make it through it on that album? They do on that one. They fuck up uh, Fox on the Run. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, and uh, song that inspired the record, um, I would say, um, let's see. I know it's very general. Uh, yeah, I would say "Lust for Destruction" by a band called Candy. They're on Spotify. Ooh, I'll have to check. I've never heard that. I'll, I will. Uh, we'll play that on here. I'm excited to hear it for myself. It's heavy as hell. Hell yeah. Well, then we will, if you're listening to the radio show, we'll play all that stuff later. If you're not listening, you're listening on the podcast, go find all, you should be listening to the Stooges and the replacements already that you got, you got more problems if you're not already listening to that. But right now we're going to play some songs right now. We're going to play some songs off fuck art first though. And I'm going to start it because I'm biased and this is my favorite song off the record. Here is hang your moon right here on the power chord hour. 
This is Roger from Less Than Jake, and you're listening to the Power Chord Hour. Nice. Podcast, a nice little block of jams there for you off the new Dirty Nil record, Fuck Art. That was Hello Jealousy. Before that was Doom Boy. What an album opener and opening up that block of music. My favorite song on the whole damn record. The second, you know, there, there's like, here's the thing. Like when I listen to a record the uh, the first time, they'll, you know, like, like you, you take it in. I don't know if other people are like this, but normally when I listen to a record the first time. I'll take it in and like, you know, you have to listen to a couple more times to really digest every song as a whole. It's like, I kind of feel like the first listen to any album is like, 
just a big block of music almost, if that makes sense. And then as you start going, you chop it up and you go like, oh yeah, there, you know, that that's this song and there's this song. And like, you know, like, like you do it like that. But when I was listening to this album, like, like sometimes it'll just be like an, like a song that just pops out. Like you don't know it yet, but it just, the first time you hear it, you know, that's like your favorite song on the album. There's just something special about it. And that was hang your moon that, uh, the uh, first song in that block there. I mean, my favorite song off there. And it's like, and I like the, I, I did like the album the first time I was listening to it, but like right away when that bass line came on, like the song didn't have to finish. That bass line just came on, like through the car stereo, just really, just that deep fucking bass. And I'm like, oh, okay, like this is about to be one of my favorite songs on there. It ended up being my favorite, but it's like right away, I'm like, oh yeah, like I could tell. Like, oh, like, you know, I, I get that with bands sometimes. I, like, kind of off topic I guess but I remember that with the Menzingers when I saw them uh I saw them live before I ever heard on the impossible past I uh I I'd maybe I heard uh oh man the the hit I can't think of it off the top of my head nice things I I had heard that song but I think that was the only song I knew off that that album when I saw them live but when they played Gates and Obituaries I'd never heard either of those songs before I'd never heard the studio recordings when I heard those Right away, I went, okay, I have to go find out what albums those are on. Like, those songs are fucking special. And normally when I see a band live, like, I hate hearing songs that I don't know. Like, I don't want to hear, you know what I mean? Like, I want to hear the songs that I know, the familiar favorites. Like, I'm not really, and at that point, I mean, they were touring on a rented world. So, I mean, I was the only asshole there who, I mean, everyone else knew, everyone else who was at that show at the Lost Horizon knew the genius that, that On the Impossible Past is. I was the only idiot who didn't. But, uh, you know, going to a show like that, normally I'm like, oh, fuck, like, I don't know the song. But like during that, I was like, no, like I like right away. I'm like, oh, my God. And then and then when I heard them, the, the, the second I heard that a uh, record for the first time, I'm like, fuck, like, here they are. Like the guitar starts on obituaries. And I'm like, that's the song. Like, I already know the song. I like I love it. So uh, I like I like that. What I'm saying is that's a sign of a really good song. And it's happened with the men zingers. It's happened with the Dirty Nil. And I mean, th- those two bands are uh, two that I throw up there, which once again, they're not even like up and coming in that sense. Both of those bands, Dirty Nil, have been around. Actually, you know what? I think the Menzingers and the Dirty Nil both have been like started in like 2006, like 2006, 2007, like somewhere in that range. So they've been around just as long, but they're both bands who I think like really, I guess the Menzingers more like the last, I guess it's been more of like a decade where they've really, you know, like Impossible Past, and uh and Chamberlain Waits and all that I mean is a decade is, is a decade at this point so I mean you know they've maybe had more time to refine their sound and so you know what I mean like where they get to that point where they feel like a younger band because they're doing something special and all of a sudden you're paying attention to them you know maybe and that's not to discredit their older stuff but like they're really doing something extra special that makes people pay more attention to it than maybe they normally would you know but yeah, just just fucking amazing music. It was a it was a huge pleasure to have Luke on. Can't thank him enough for uh, coming on and doing that. And uh, was very very cool. We'll love to have him on again in the future. And the rest of the Nils, uh, the Nils. Uh, but you know, rest of the uh, whole Nil crew. Uh, you know, both uh, Ross and Kyle would love to have him on. Both really really good musicians. But I love that that band. I love that album. Go check out Fuck Art. If you've never checked out the Dirty Nil, 
I mean, there's a bunch of old, like, like when he said, like, they're, they were a duo. I got to say, I was laughing so hard when I was editing this. I forgot that he, that he at one point just said, fuck two-piece bands. And, I mean, and honestly, I mean, I kind of agree. There, there's a few out there that I like, but overall, I fucking hate two-piece bands. I don't know what you're trying to prove out there not having a bass player. And maybe that's why, because I am a bass player. So maybe I take offense to it, but I don't, I don't really care for two-piece bands. But anyway, I mean, they have three full lengths and then a bunch of like EPs and different stuff. Like I said, that was the Fat Records put that out, like I think in like 2015 or something. It's called uh, Minimum R&B. And uh, that has like all the really like the older stuff before they had full lengths out. And then, uh, yeah, there's Higher Power, Master Volume, and now Fuck Art. And I mean, check all of them out. If you are uh, sitting at home bored during this pandemic or whenever fucking go listen to some really really good music all, all you can categorize them as is a rock band too that's what's amazing is like I, I just a rock band you can't call them pop punk band they're definitely not a pop punk band um you know like there's elements of power pop but they're not like fully like there's just really like and i do hear like people will call them like cheap trick like very i hear people like get that that like cheap trick influence and then you do hear like the Stooges, including in his guitar playing, like he definitely, I can totally see the James Williamson uh, influence. But yeah, just a band with all these, like they have all these different influences and, and mesh them in just such a great way, which again, like not that like it's, they always even sound straight up like the replacement. So I would love to hear Paul Westerberg sing Doom Boy, but like that same spirit of like, hey, we don't like just one genre of music. Like, we like different shit. Like, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a punk song on here, but we're also going to cover Kiss and then write a song called Gary's Got a Boner. Like, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, to be able to have that humility and not take yourselves too seriously is uh, very, very important, and the Dirty Nil definitely possess that. So go check them out. I All I'm going to do, I'm going to sit here and just keep saying nice things about that band because I like them very much. I'm going to keep playing uh, songs off the new record on the radio show tons and tons and uh, yeah, so go check them out. Go find them online. Uh, they did just put out a music video for Elvis 77 like a week ago. So uh, that is out now on their YouTube page. Go check that out. Tons of other music videos. They're good at that. You know, we're in an age now where not everyone does music videos anymore. They still do. And they're actually funny and uh, and aren't just like live footage, which I like because a lot of music videos now are just live footage if you even get a music video. And uh, these are actual like you know, like there's, there's a, some, some kind of storyline and uh, they're normally pretty funny. So go check that out. Check us, check us out online. We're at power cord hour on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're on Spotify and uh, obviously the podcast there, maybe you're listening to it there, but also uh, playlists from the radio show every week are on there. Our power cord crash course playlist, like the uh, saves the day one I put up the other week. Uh, tons of those up there. Sometimes I'll put up accompanying uh, podcast playlists for a certain ones. So those are all there. Hundreds of playlists to check out. So if you would go follow us on Spotify, we uh, we got a sad number of followers on there. You got to go go follow us. We look like assholes. Help us look less like assholes. Uh, I, I don't know why that would make us. Th- th- that that's like a that's like a deep saying. Like you think that the more followers you have, you're like less than an asshole. But you can have a million followers, but you'll never not be an asshole. You know, I I don't know. Maybe that made no, that probably made zero sense to anyone but me, but uh, I'm too lazy to edit it out. So uh, there you go. There, there's the little Anthony's uh, philosophy corner for the week for you. Quite a, quite a way to start it, but uh, go follow us on Spotify. Tons of playlists on there. Uh, 
and the radio show too. Check that out. Uh, new episodes every Friday night. I mean, check this out. It will be the interview. This will be airing on the radio show this week. But, uh, you know, I'll be playing tons of music afterwards and uh, talking and all that fun stuff. So there'll be other other things to hear. It won't just be a, a total rehash of this podcast. But those are new episodes every Friday night, 10 to midnight on 107.9 WRFA and WRFALP.com. You can listen from anywhere in the world on there. Stream the uh, radio show. So check that out on there. And uh, hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. We got free Power Chord Hour stickers. I want to mail you some out. And rate and review the show on iTunes. And if you do, send me a screenshot, and I'll send you a Power Chord Hour, t- uh, Power Chord Hour T-shirt and uh, some of those uh, stickers. And I still have some guitar picks. I'll probably throw some of those in there. I'll, I'll send you a little goodie bag and a nice little thank you note and uh, everything for uh, sending us or writing us a nice review. I really do appreciate it to those who have done it. And, uh, yeah, keep appreciating the people who continue doing it. So that's it. We'll be back next week with another one. I think we'll have a guest next week. And, again, I'm uh, not going to say who because I have not talked to them up to this point that, uh, that I've recorded, recorded this here outro. But uh, hopefully I have by the time you hear it, but by the time it lands into your ears. But until next week for the Power Court Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thank you so much for listening.